five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys? Welcome to Inside You, the college sports podcast, and we are back, and the first week of college football is behind us, so let's get right to it. First things first, I was right and I was wrong. I was right that North Texas would beat SMU. I was right that West Virginia would beat Tennessee, and I was right that Ole Miss would beat Texas Tech. However, I was wrong that Northwestern would lose to Purdue with a limited Clayton Thorsten and impressive play by Lorenzo Larkin. The Wildcats managed to upset the Boilermakers. I was wrong that Army would beat Duke. David Cutcliffe's team looked better than expected, and I was wrong that Stanford would lose to SDSU. Very impressive win for the Cardinals, especially with the fact that Bryce Love only managed to run for 29 yards on 18 carries, but Stanford quarterback KJ Costello managed to throw four touchdowns. So, other weekend games of importance, obviously the big one right now, causing a lot of storylines is Auburn's upset win over Washington. This is a huge game, not just for the Huskies, but also for the Pac-12. As you may know, last year the Pac-12 finished the bowl season with a record of one and eight. It led many people to believe that the conference as a whole might be on the decline. Obviously, things got worse following the unimpressive NCAA tournament showings, but Really right now, this is a huge loss for the Pac-12, not necessarily because I think like a lot of people that Washington was the Pac-12's only chance of making the playoff, but certainly does not look good to lose another big non-conference game, Uh, definitely a marquee matchup, probably the most watched first game of college football this year. And when you look at that loss, coupled with some of the other losses by the Pac-12 this weekend, obviously UCLA got upset by Cincinnati, true Bruins quarterback, Wilton Spates got hurt, but still all most people are going to see is UCLA losing. And then the other big loss was BYU upsetting Arizona. Khalil Tate, not that impressive, at 17 for 34. Sure, BYU has quarterback Tanner Magnum back, but in many ways, BYU is kind of like a good measuring stick program for teams to play against. And so really what you're seeing is three Pac-12 teams coming up short this weekend. So... And talking about the Pac-12 right now, I think the reason why the Pac-12 is struggling is for a number of reasons. First off, obviously, the bowl games have to be talked about. You know, in many ways, the Pac-12 was the first conference to start this process of star players sitting out of their team's bowl games before guys like Christian McCaffrey and some of the other top Pac-12 players, obviously more recently Josh Rosen, set out their bowl games. You know, this really wasn't a thing that we saw so much, but since that's happened a few years ago, now that's kind of become common. I know last year, seven players for Texas sat out of Texas's bowl game. But, you know, I think that definitely hurts the conference as a whole. I mean, sure, everyone who does follow college football knows that, you know, okay, this best player is out for this school or that quarterback's out for that school. But at the end of the day, most people just see the box score. It does not help the conference's reputation. Then, obviously, there's the whole Pac-12 after dark fiasco with the Pac-12 constantly playing games that are so late that East Coast viewers don't get to watch them. And then obviously it's unimpressive performances recently in non-conference games and scheduling non-conference opponents. So a lot of work the Pac-12 has to do. Um, I wrote an article about this kind of briefly, but you know the Pac-12 right now is very much in a situation where with the ACC doing better with the return of Miami and hopefully FSU and Clemson being a powerhouse and really being the only program that can challenge Alabama right now, with um, the Big 12 coming up with Oklahoma last year and this year looking impressive with Baker Mayfield, with the Big 10 always being strong, 
you know, the Pac-12 right now is in a situation where they could be the fourth best conference of those Power Five. Obviously, the last one being, obviously, them and the Big 12 are kind of the closest in parity. Um, but, you know, right now, I would say the Big 12 has a step above of the Pac-12 just because of the recent success. So, you know, definitely need to look to do better there. Um, but, you know, the Pac-12 is in a situation where when they were first doing these conference alignments a couple years ago, excuse me, realignments a couple years ago, you know, they really said, hey, we want to challenge the SEC. We want to become the Pac-16, et cetera, et cetera. But since then, really, they've failed to live up to that kind of hype and that kind of design. So it'll be interesting to see what Larry Scott does. But not a great start for the conference, especially coming off an already unimpressive bowl season last year. Obviously, there's still a lot of football to play. USC looked good with JT Daniels as their new starting quarterback, but I definitely don't think that that team is going to be able to compete for a playoff spot this year. You know, then you've got other non-conference schools you have to think about, like Notre Dame, which obviously always has a number of Pac-12 teams on its schedule. So that's another kind of bellwether type of program. So there's a lot going on there, but obviously with, you know, all of everything that happened last year and all the bad press that the Pac-12 got throughout the offseason, not a great way to start. So moving on. Maryland upsetting Texas, another game that I picked incorrectly. First thing, again, we want to talk about Jordan McNair. You know, uh, Maryland's first offensive series, they went started their first play without a right guard to honor Jordan McNair. Very sad. This was a team with lots of emotion, and they managed to upset a very good Texas team, a team that I think will be a sleeper in that Big 12 race this year. Um, you know, Texas right now is very much at a crossroads in some ways in that you know, Tom Herman came in with so much hype. Fans were excited. I remember watching the team on the sidelines that first game. Everyone was jumping up and down. The fans were reinvigorated. The program finally seemed to be back on the uh, up and up. And, you know, both times now, both seasons have started with losses to Maryland. Frankly, a team that Texas should not be ever losing to. If Texas is going to claim that it is a national powerhouse, it can't be losing to a team that on its best year is probably only going to finish in the upper middle half of the Big Ten. So even with this loss, um, I still do believe in this Texas team, this Tom Herman's team and Tom Herman. I do still think that the Longhorns can be a sleeper in the Big 12, depending on how a couple of games play out. Again, they do benefit from hosting West Virginia at home this year, who was very impressive in their first performance of the season against Tennessee. And, you know, they've got face Oklahoma in their usual Red River Classic game, which is at the Texas State Fair. So in many ways, that's like a home game. So if they can win those two games and then, you know, respond, that will look good. But obviously not a great start, um, you know. And with Texas right now, it's just the same story over and over, which is just subpar quarterback play. You know, Sam Ellinger did manage to win the job. He did look decent last year when he wasn't injured. But, you know, when they needed him, he came up short. With that being said, I do still feel a lot better about this Texas team in a loss than I feel about LSU right now in their upset win over Miami. Keep in mind, this is an LSU team that still has to face Auburn. And then in successive weeks, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama. And even with LSU head coach Ed Orgeron kind of having silenced his critics and those calling for his firing right now, I don't think that'll be the case come the end of the season. But we'll get more into LSU in a bit. The other big game of this weekend was obviously last night's Monday night showdown between Florida State and Virginia Tech. You know, this was just a very disappointing game uh, in many fronts. I mean, Virginia Tech was able to come out to an early lead, 
And FSU, you could kind of sense all night long, was just looking for that one big play to break open the game, and it never came. You know, the penalties certainly hurt them. The mistakes certainly hurt them. And then towards the end of the game, obviously, Francois appeared to be just trying to forcing a big play, which led to some of those interceptions. But, you know, for Willie Taggart, who's a guy who came in here with all this hype, who came in here talking about, you know, precision and timing and doing things right, not a great opener. You know, sure, you don't want to read too much into a first game. The penalties, the mistakes, those can get fixed. But just when you have everything going for you and that you have a longer week than most teams, you're playing at home, you've got this energized fan base to come out and perform the way the Seminoles did was very unimpressive. And in many ways, Jay-Z's sitting here going, maybe they were better under Jimbo Fisher. So not how you want to start it. Uh, I still think that Florida State will continue its record of being bowl eligible but they seriously have an uphill climb. If you're Virginia Tech right now, after that, their win and Miami's loss, they are sh- definitely in control of their finish in that coastal division. I think we just saw a Miami team right now that is beatable. And like I said, we'll just uh, moving on. Speaking of Miami, you know, uh, I was right in picking LSU over Miami. Again, I did this mostly because of Joe Burrow. I thought he'd be able to do enough, coupled with Malik Rosier. The Hurricanes quarterback not being able to do enough to win. That's ultimately how it came out. Burrow did well. He didn't look great. There were certainly some throws that were behind receivers, a couple of throws that should have been made, but he did enough to get the job done. Then obviously, Brosette was phenomenal, had a couple of huge runs for the Tigers, and El Orgeron was able to walk off the field with his arms raised. Now, like I mentioned earlier, even with this win, I still don't think LSU is going to be a force in that SEC West. I think they beat a Miami team in many ways that beat itself. Um, so while he silenced the critics for now and he's gotten that big win, I don't know if he'll still be the coach of the Tigers come the end of the season. Obviously, we're going to see, but great way to start off the season for Coach O. Congratulations. Now, Miami, first off, this is a team that looked completely different than the team we saw last year. They didn't have that swagger, that spark, the turnover chain, all of that out the window. The defensive line with that Craig Kuligowski, who left from Miami, was obviously unimpressive. The defense across the board was unimpressive, and the quarterback play wasn't much better. You know, I saw a team also that kind of quit on itself towards the end of that game when things didn't go their way. And in many ways, a team that started the season with a lot of hype with a lot of beliefs that they would be coming out of that coastal division, replaying Clemson in the ACC championship game, now certainly as an uphill climb. Granted, this was a non-conference game, but if I'm every other team in that coastal division and in the ACC for that matter, I'm certainly there going, this is a Miami team we can beat. So it'll be interesting to see how Mark Rick's teams respond, but not a great way to start off the season for the Hurricanes. So moving on to the first game of the season that I watched, excuse me, for the first game of the weekend that I was able to see live, the Rocky Mountain Showdown between Colorado and Colorado State. Obviously, I picked Colorado to win, which they were able to do. Again, this was just simply an example of the Rams' defense being terrible. Uh, Colorado scored in 84 seconds on its first drive, 97 seconds on its second drive, and continued to score quickly throughout the night. K.J. Carter-Samuel, the Rams' quarterback, again, did impress me in that when he was playing, I did see enough of him that I liked what I saw, but you know, when the defense is putting you that big of a hole, it's always going to be hard to get out of. And again, the Rams came up short. Uh, Montez, very impressive. Wide receiver Chenault, very impressive. And it should be interesting to see what happens in this Colorado with this Colorado team this year. You know, many people were picking that Arizona team to do well after their loss to BYU. They're rethinking that. 
I think USC is still the favorite in that Pac-12 South, but who knows, Colorado could surprise like they did two years ago in 2016. So congratulations to Montez. Should be interesting to see what happens. Moving on to the next game, I almost got to see live this weekend, Nebraska. You know, Nebraska, the Huskers, one of many games that was canceled this season following a furious thunder and lightning storm. Uh, a lot of energy on campus, a lot of people excited. I saw an invigorated fan base. I don't think I saw one person sitting the entire time we were in that stadium, even while we were waiting for the lightning delay to hopefully pass. Um, but it was great to see the energy. Obviously unfortunate that we didn't get to see the Huskers, but you know we will this weekend. And that moves us to our first game of the weekend that I want to get into, which is Colorado-Nebraska. Now, you know, um, when they first announced that they had canceled the game, many people said, okay, well, they'll just play it on Sunday. Those were the initial reports that Nebraska was going to play Akron at 10.30 in the morning. Then about an hour later, it was announced now the game's canceled entirely, and it's since come out that it was because Akron did not want to play on Sunday. Apparently, they had checked out of their room, and they had taken a hotel that was 40 miles from campus, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, now you have a Colorado team that's 1-0. They got a nice conference. They got a nice confidence win over an in-state rival versus this 0-0 Nebraska team with a new head coach, new quarterback, a freshman quarterback at that. And it's interesting to see how that'll all play out. Um, you know, while I was definitely impressed with Montez and with the Buffalo's offense, their defense didn't quite impress me as much. And in that way, I think Nebraska has a legitimate shot in this game. But with that being said, you know, in many ways, we don't know what we're looking at with this Nebraska team. Obviously, A.J. Martinez, the true freshman starter, in many ways, the gem of Scott Frost for his recruiting class. You know, this is a guy who hasn't played in a year already because of a shoulder injury. So we have to see how that comes into it. You know, is he going to be tentative the first time he gets hit or the first couple of times he's bearing has a rusher bearing down on him? We don't know. I'm sure you can talk about, you know, practice reps and spring games and scrimmages and all that stuff, but it's never the same to a live to a live game where you know that the guy running at you full speed has bad intentions. Um, so still, though, I also think that, you know, maybe in many ways the cancellation of this game is good and that now the Buffaloes don't have any film to watch. They're still being forced to watch UCF film. There's no Nebraska game to dissect and have their defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators and head coach look over, over and over and over again. But uh, going to have to give the edge to that game experience, even with Colorado traveling to Lincoln to play that game. So I think Colorado wins it. Probably a close game. Probably a touchdown. You know, 17-10 wouldn't surprise me. At the same time, you know, 45-38 wouldn't surprise me. But I think Colorado does just enough to get the job done. Um, yeah, it will be disappointing for this Scott Frost fan base to lose their first real game that he's coached. But, you know, when looking at what Scott Frost done for that city, for the program, the connections he's making, the statements he's made, I do think he's the right guy for that job, even if he does lose his first quote-unquote game as a head coach. So moving on, the, one of the other big games this season, you've got Mississippi State traveling to Manhattan, Kansas, to take on Kansas State. Uh, this is a Kansas State team that struggled to put away South Dakota last weekend, uh, leaving many to shake their heads. Obviously, Bill Snyder wasn't happy. Uh, kind of on the other side, you've got a Mississippi State team that some have picked to win the SEC West. You know, they've got Nick Fitzgerald. They've got a great defensive line between Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat and a lot of other pieces. So it is hard to not think that Hill State will not win that game. So Mississippi State over Kansas State there. 
Another big game this week in South Carolina, Georgia. Now, Georgia right now is kind of at an interesting crossroads in that while their offense has continued to look good, Jake Fromm obviously is back. He's now a sophomore. You've got DeAndre Swift, who's full in for Sonny Michelle. Uh, and there are other running backs that departed, um, but their defense certainly took a big hit. You know, the defense lost a lot. Raquan Smith, who was their defensive leader last year, obviously is gone. He was drafted by the Bears. And I don't think that defense really was tested last weekend in their game against Austin Peavy. I mean, sure, they held Peavy to zero points, but I don't think that that's a hard thing to do for any of the top or above average programs in college football. And I think what we're going to see is a South Carolina team between Jake Bentley and Debo Samuels that is able to test that defense, that is able to push that defense. And I think they're going to do just enough to win this game. Um, still, though, even if the Gamecocks do manage to win this game and even with their easier schedule than Georgia going forward, it would not surprise me if Georgia managed to win in the long run. Sorry, win the SEC East in the long run. So I've got South Carolina to win that game, but again, would not be surprised if Georgia does end up still coming out of the East. Moving on to Iowa and Iowa State. Iowa State, Cyclones, another one of the games that was canceled this weekend because of the freak third hurricane thunderstorm etc taking on an iowa team that some have picked to possibly defeat wisconsin um you know again you have to go with the experience of knowing that iowa has already played a game iowa state hasn't uh i'm picking the hawkeyes there but again this is a hawk this is a cyclones team that has head coach matt campbell back kyle kemp is back some of the other pieces are back so don't sleep on them, but I've got Iowa over Iowa State. That moves us on to another big game this weekend between Clemson and Texas A&M. Um, you know, when you're talking about a first-year head coach, you know, in many ways you don't expect them to do too much. I mean, sure, Urban Meyer was able to do great things in his first year, but I think that's more of the exception rather than the rule. What I typically look for is the players buying into the program, and that is typically evidenced by what I like to call a signature win, where it's a game where – a team that most people think has no shot, plays above its level, believes in the coach, believes in the game plan, believes in the program, and outperforms and beats a higher or a very highly ranked team. This could be, in many ways, Texas A&M's best chance at that signature win this season. You know, Clemson is coming to Collins Station to play this game. Kellen Mond looked fantastic last season, excuse me, last week in his first game. Under new head coach Jimbo Fisher, he appears to have made a significant strides. But this is a Clemson team that, whether it's Kelly Bryant or Trevor Lawrence under center, is going to be able to rely on that big defensive line. We're going to see Kelly Mond be running a lot this weekend for his life, and so I'm taking Clemson in that game. That moves us on to Penn State. Penn State this weekend, obviously not off to a great start in a season where many pick them to possibly challenge for the Big Ten. You know, they went to overtime against Appalachian State. Now, keep in mind, Appalachian State is one of the better uh, group of five programs. You know, they're in the Sun Belt. They won the Sun Belt last year. They were co-champions. Um, you know, every few years, they do seem to manage to upset a big school, whether it be Michigan or almost like this last week in Penn State. But certainly a cause for concern. And that's why I would not be surprised, and I am picking Pitt to win this game. In many ways, this last weekend's win reminds me of when Clemson went on the road and nearly snuck out a victory over NC State, only to also follow Pittsburgh the weekend after. So I'm picking Pat Narduzzi's team to pull off the upset here, uh, even with Trace McSorley. I think Trace McSorley would be brought down to 
kind of his mean this weekend. I don't think we're nearly going to see his new home run swing celebration quite as much. And I think between Narduzzi's squad, which is known for its defense, and with this new quarterback, Kendall, who he's very excited about, they're going to be able to pull off the upset. So I've got Pitt over Penn State there. And then the final big game for this weekend is Stanford versus USC. Now, Stanford right now, in many ways, uh, pulled off a huge win that I think was bigger than a lot of people realize in that they beat SDSU this year to start up their season. Keep in mind, last year they lost to SDSU. So that's a big one. And what was really impressive about it wasn't the play of Bryce Love. Again, he was only held to 29 yards, but the play of quarterback KJ Costello, who managed to throw for four touchdowns, that's a significant improvement. If he's able to do that every week and Bryce Love returns to his kind of usual level of play, this is going to be a nasty Stanford team. They're going up against USC, which, although they struggled initially, was able to pull off a season opening victory over UNLV. You know, new quarterback JT Daniels looked good. He seems to have definitely all the things you look for in a quarterback. But in this game, I do like Stanford's experience, and I think the Cardinals do manage to win. So moving on to some of the other big things of the weekend, and one of the things that I really do want to talk about is kind of the quote-unquote controversy that happened this weekend regarding Nick Saban and Maria Taylor. In case you saw it, following the game, Maria Taylor asked Saban a question regarding his quarterbacks, you know, all offseason, we've been dealing with this narrative whether Tua Tagovailoa or Jalen Hurts would be the starter. Following the game, Maria Taylor kind of asked Nick Saban, where do we go from here? And Saban kind of responded very curtly to her. Um, I don't think that Saban's response was as bad as a lot of people thought it was. I mean, sure, it wasn't great, but if you've seen any of Nick Saban's news conference, post-game news conferences before, it's kind of just what he usually does. You know, he usually kind of goes about things in a very deliberate manner. Um, but, you know, obviously not a great way and just kind of uh, he could have responded significantly better. But, you know, I also think that Nick Saban, you know, if you look at his history as a head coach, particularly dealing with quarterback controversies, and this is really talking about all college coaches now, he's never really been able to, to be great at handling them. I mean, the biggest one of most recent memory was Blake Barnett and Cooper Bateman who both thought that one of them was going to be the starter for the Tide that year. Then Jalen Hurts comes in. He ends up getting significant playing time against USC, leads Alabama to a victory over USC in their opening game of the season. Then he takes over from there. Both quarterbacks transfer out. And, you know, Jalen Hurts has been the guy ever since. Now, this is what makes this whole new four-game rule so interesting is that before this season – before this rule, coaches could literally just literally lie to both of their quarterbacks or whoever many quarterbacks were in the competition to be the starter because they knew as soon as that first game happened and they were suited up, that guy had just lost a year of eligibility and they were basically stuck there. And I think Saban's frustration is a combination of, on the one hand, he's never handled these issues particularly well. Remember, this is a defensive guy, a special teams guy, not an offensive guy. In many ways, he likes to leave the offense to his coordinators. However, he still likes to micromanage them when necessary, and that's why we've had so many guys go through there. And then also, even with that, then you all and all of the publicity of, you know, what, who's going to win the job? Is it two? Is it Jalen, Jalen, two, a 26 and two, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's, okay, this guy's here, but how long is he here? And so, you know, Saban keeps saying stuff like, you know, we're going to use his skill set when necessary. And, you know, in this regard, obviously Jalen having already committed to staying through December, 
to graduating and then possibly pursuing a grad transfer if necessary is helpful. But like I've already mentioned, you know, how does this four game rule come into play? Is there a situation where Jalen says, oh, this is my fifth game. If I play in this game, I lose what would be a second year of eligibility as a graduate transfer. Or are we going to see in the next few games him kind of rescind off into the darkness, leave the team, continue to work out on his own, get his degree, and then leave for whatever the best option is? Um, I think this is where really a lot of the frustration in Saban's answer came is that, you know, this is like, you know, coaches in general like to be risk averse. They always like to know they have a backup. I think any program in the nation would be happy to know that you have a backup quarterback who was 26 and two as the starter, a former SEC offensive player of the year, et cetera, et cetera. But as Tua Tagovailoa continues to cement himself as the starter continues to build his confidence and we start getting into these serious SEC games, is Jalen going to want to just stick around to be the mop up guy? I don't really know. We're definitely going to find out pretty soon. But I, th- when we look at all this, I really think that's what's going through Saban's mind. And I don't think it's necessarily the questions or the kind of continued controversy, quote unquote, but it's just that this is a guy who hasn't handled these situations well to begin with. He's got a difficult situation now, and he's got this unexpected, a new variable of the four game rule. So it'll be interesting to see what Coach Saban does. And it'll be interesting to see what happens across college football this weekend. A lot of very important games. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, please make sure to go over to YouTube and check out the first episode of Inside You at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, just kind of a very, uh, uh, just kind of a melange of everything we put together in our first weekend there watching the Colorado State-Hawaii football game from the school to the student gymnasium to places to eat to places to get coffee. So if you haven't done it yet, yet, please make sure to check it out. Again, please make sure to like and subscribe to the video if you like what you heard. And I will be back tomorrow to go over the important Group of Five games this week for Group of Five Wednesday. So have a good night. See you guys soon. Bye.